0: It's time for another episode of Tucson Means Business, featuring Tucson's top entrepreneurs and leaders in the business world. And now your host, Mark Bishop. And welcome to another Tucson Means Business. And if you're in the film industry or like the film industry or always been excited by it, you're going to enjoy today's guest, I can promise you. I'm referring to Mark Headley, a film producer. And uh, the show is, of course, brought to you by the 49ers Golf and Country Club, situated out there on Tancaverde Road. And what with everything that's been happening for quite a few months, we've had just takeout. Well, the restaurant is open, but with all the criteria, you know, the part of feet and distancing and so on and masks are still on with serving and what have you so all the precautions are being taken but the restaurant is open of course you can still uh, ring up and order and take away and uh, i think the pool is open and the golf is still going so you know you're welcome to do that but the gym isn't open yet so uh, but the dancing is still on so the 49ers golf and country club thank you wonderful sponsors of tucson means business my guest today, Mark Headley, he draws from the experience that started as a teenage actor in American westerns. Now, for some of you, you're going to remember early as he was encouraged by his mentor director. You remember John Houston? Hmm. Well, he sort of encouraged him to work behind the camera. So, Mark Headley, welcome to Tucson Means Business. Great.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Mark.
0: You're it's most a pleasure. welcome. Well, you were introduced... To uh, Mr. Houston via the star of Life and Times, I remember that movie, of Judge Roy Bean. Paul Newman, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Listen, that was a great film to, to watch and a great film to be involved in. You know, it was, it was, it was terrific. Um, I guess I'll, I'll tell you the story how I met, you know, John Houston. Uh, some people that uh, are not movie buffs, uh, John Houston is a legend, he, uh, he directed African Queen with mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn, Humphrey Bogart. Um, the man that would be king uh, was Sean Connery. Um, uh, Moby Dick. Uh, he was you know just a filmmaker's filmmaker. Um, anyway, uh, he came to Tucson to do Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. The star, of course, was Paul Newman. Um, I was a kid, teenager, and uh, I thought I wanted to be an actor when I grew up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'd always follow Paul Newman around, bug him, ask him questions. Uh, the extras coordinator, um, Frank Kennedy would come to me and say, listen, don't bug the actors. Okay. You're an extra stay in your corner. Anyway. um,
0: Now you're only a kid at this stage, right? We're talking about how old. I was
1: a kid, you know, just, you know, didn't, didn't know much about much about the film industry at all, you Mm -hmm. know? And, uh, Mm -hmm. so I'd sneak over again and, and chat with Paul Newman. He was real friendly and, um, and that at one point, I, I asked uh, uh, Mr. Newman. I said, "Before you do a scene, you go over and talk to this old white-haired gentleman. Um, wh- why is that?" And he says, "Well, Mark, let me let me introduce you." So he takes me over, and uh, here's a actor of yours. He didn't call me an extra. He said, "Here's one of your actors on Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, wow. Mark Headley." So anyway, John Houston. Puts his hand down. I'm shaking John Houston's hand. I'm looking up at him, and I say to him, "Excuse me, sir, but uh, what do you do?" John Houston laughed that John Houston laugh, and he said, "Well, son, I'm the director," and it was like the voice of God. And right. then I followed John Houston around the rest of the movie. They were here for three months.
0: Amazing, so, absolutely amazing, because Houston, big name, big name, a lot of wonderful movies. And uh, this is Tucson Means Business. And the reason I've got, by the way, uh, folks, Mark in on this, is we're talking money coming into Tucson. The old days when movies were made here, this place rocked like a gold mine town. And you know what? Everybody's working hard to try and get it back again that way, but it takes time. And uh, Mark is working on this right now with a new movie that's going to be made here. Now, you were only a young lad at that point, but that's possibly when you decided that this was the work for you, right? This this is what you wanted to do the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, I uh, and I always encourage, you know, everybody, including my 18 year old son, um, pursue what makes you happiest. Okay, try to make a living doing what you want to do. But um, I decided, and it's always been kind of a up and down roller coaster ride. But it's it's been interesting. Um, film industry is probably one of the hardest industries mm-hmm. in the world because it's a combination of all the arts in all aspects of business. Um, and again, I, I've been with it, you know, for so many years. Um, it's still not an easy business.
0: Well, and uh, even harder today, the way things are. But you, you continued working on such films as McClintock with John Wayne. When I was right. a kid, you know, he was my favorite, the Duke. Uh, Monty yeah. Walsh uh, with his friend Lee Marvin. And countless other movies. yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, Mark, but Lee Marvin used to come down under to Australia to go uh, deep sea fishing every year up near Cairns on the Barrier Reef. and really? uh, Yeah, right. he loved it. About 500 bucks a day, he got the boat, beer, uh, you know, an esky full of beer and, uh, and the food and the lunch, and he'd go out all day. And I tell you what, that was a strenuous bit of work. These are big fish. And he would sit yeah. in the chair strapped in and, you know, it can take you up to maybe four or five hours just to get one in, you know, to net it right, in. Right, right. So he so was a big fellow. You know
1: uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Lee Marvin uh, had a house here in Tucson.
0: Right, right. So he, he did, yeah. There.
1: He was a Tucsonian. And, uh, um, yeah, and I, I uh, had the pleasure of working with him um, on not only on movies, but I uh, convinced him um, I had a film arts group back in the 70s. And I got Lee Marvin to come down and talk to some of the students about acting, and hmm. about the film business. And uh, he was a gracious man. He was uh, yeah. an incredible individual and
0: a good actor. Yeah. Still, one of my favorite movies with him was The Dirty Dozen. Oh yeah, I love that thing. Classic. You know, yep. you um, you even got the pleasure and honor of working with Frank Sinatra, old blue eyes, right? Oh, chairman, yeah. of, chairman of the board. Uh, yeah. And this the movie was called Dirty Dingus McGee.
1: Yep, he did that in Tucson.
0: Yeah, that was down in Tucson as well, huh? Exactly. And Andy Warhol on The Lonesome Cowboy. Was that a hit or did that fizzle?
1: Well, it uh, it was banned everywhere. And <laughs> Why it, was it banned? Uh, well,
0: it was Andy Warhol, and um,
1: I'll tell you uh, a quick story. Uh, when I was on set, you know, with, with Andy Warhol and uh, Bob Shelton at, at that point owned Old Tucson, right? Mm-hmm. And um, – you know, Bob was up in his office. Uh, Andy was getting everything ready for the cowboys and cowgirls on their horses and everything. Bob Shelton comes out, and um, Andy Warhol has all these actor and actresses on horseback, totally nude, completely naked. Okay. Bob pulls Andy aside, and I kind of, you know, over-listening. And uh, Bob very kindly says, excuse me, Andy, but you can't do this in half an hour. I've got a uh, tourist coming in with their kids from Minnesota.
0: Oh, God. Stone <laughs> so the pros, yeah. you
1: can, you can do this, but take it further out in the desert. So that's what we did.
0: <laughs> Go and, out with uh, the rattlesnake. It, it was banned. It was uh,
1: basically an Andy Warhol extravaganza.
0: Wow. Uh, well, I mean, I, yeah. Get your head around that one. You let's talk about you. You ended up leaving Arizona for the gold fields of California. Yep. Uh, you've had a stellar career really as a producer and a line producer being privileged to produce such films as uh, stand-ins, uh, visioneers. Yep. Yeah, I remember that one. Tell us yep. about those, Mark, if you would. What What is the role of a producer for our listeners yeah, versus, um, versus a line producer?
1: Well, there's there's different types of producers. Um, a producer, and then back in the days, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, 60s, um, a producer like uh, David O. Zelsnick, who produced Bond with the Wind, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. Um. A producer would be responsible for everything. Hire the actors, hire the director, uh, okay the script. These days, it's rather confusing because you'll see movies now with four or five producers. Who does all that work? It's split up amongst different producers. Well, you see, Um,
0: you often see maybe six executive producers.
1: Yeah, now executive producer, those are the people responsible for the money. They Ah, bring the money in. That's the hardest part of doing a movie. You can't make a movie without money. Uh-huh. So um, you have your executive producer, and then your producer is the guy or girl that puts all of it together. Okay. Uh-huh. And I usually, when I'm producing, I only have one or two other producers that I share, you know, to work with. But um, a producer, um, the definition of a producer is putting everything together.
0: Now we're talking. Um, we're we're the talking director. the creative, right?
1: Well, the creative and the financial, uh, they, uh, as a producer, I figure out, um, you know, number one, I work with an executive producer. They have the money. I go to the executive producer and say, well, we need X number dollars to do this movie. And they say, fine. And then I do a budget. Okay. Usually it's about a 30 page document Mm -hmm. and I've got everything lined out to the penny. This is what it's going to cost, you know, for the director, for the actors, for the sets, for the locations. Right. And then uh, the executive producer usually says, um, all right, fine. You know, just so long as you keep on budget, I'm good with it. So they turn over the money. I spend it, make the movie. And then I turn it back over to the executive producer because the executive producer wants to sell the movie and make their money back. Okay. Mm. And I've done about uh, 60 feature films as a a producer. And uh, most of my films have made their money back.
0: So, well, that's very good. But- how do you know in advance? Because things can go wrong, right? And then you end up over budget, obviously, just like a business. It's like a business. Right. You've got to be careful. When you that does happen, do you have to sort of like crawl back to the executive producers and say, look,
1: get no, those, you know, no? No. Make- um what happens is, you know, you I have department heads. And I say, Okay, you have, you know, maybe you have, you know, fifteen thousand dollars for this, twenty-five thousand dollars this department. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I give them the budget and if they're, if they exceed the budget or they, they want to exceed the budget, they come to me and explain why they want to spend more money. Then from there I go to the executive producer and it's a yes or no. You want to spend extra money for this? I explain. And I usually bring in the department head and the executive producer will say, okay, fine. I'll spend the extra money or no, I don't have any more money to spend. So, um, all my films uh, get approvals and they don't go over the approved budget of the executive producer. Mm.
0: That's important. And if it did and you couldn't get the money, is it a case of going back and snipping out scenes or you've just got to balance it out with what you got, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's, uh, it's pre-production, like a, the film I'm currently producing here in Tucson.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, We're, we're going to talk about a, that as more, well. Yeah. Two more months of pre-production. That's planning. That's working with all the department heads Laying out everything that we need to do, I, I, I had an approved budget like you know two months ago, and everybody right now is following their guidelines, following the
0: budget. Mm-hmm. And I
1: usually leave about you know a ten percent what they call contingency.
0: Sure, right. You know, so, well, that's just like business too. So yeah, um, it is a business, It's we, a we, big business. Yeah, we're talking about the pre-planning now. If it comes from a book, there's obviously fees to the author. Right, or to their managers, yeah. I guess. And what yeah. else could there be? If you've got, uh, well, there's scriptwriters, there's screenplay.
1: Well, you know, you, you uh, work for hire. Usually, uh, you make a deal with the with the screenwriter, pay the screenwriter for their services, and they go away. And
0: okay. what does the screenwriter do?
1: Well, um, there's several different from types a book. of ways okay. to get. I mean, uh, also like in the Academy Awards, they have. Uh, you know, screenplay based on a book or whatever, you know, or they have original screenplays. Now I work usually with original screenplays, meaning somebody sat down for a a couple of months, two or three months, maybe a year, writing a screenplay. And then I pick that screenplay to produce. Okay.
0: Mm.
1: Um, That's, you know, if, if I go back, if I have a writer that has something based on a book which often happens, then I've got to get rights to that book to do a screenplay, then i got to get rights to the screenplay. So it gets a little bit more complicated.
0: Okay, so we're in the pre plan stage. With, uh, you're basically getting everything down pat, getting ready to physically shoot and make the movie. Correct. Okay, in the pre-planned stages. Now, um, in reality, your experience... Well, I sort of, after speaking with you about contingencies and budgets and everything else, let it give me it, like I tell you, uh, your experience blends the creative and the technical aspects of filmmaking, but would it be fair to say that your true genius, if you like, lies behind the scenes? You know, the nuts and bolts aspects of movie production. They're the key to making any successful film, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, because so many people... Um Well, I I like to uh, use an example. If you wanna become an attorney, okay? um, It takes, what, seven years of school, okay? And you gotta get a license, Um, same thing as a doctor, okay? But, um, and even if you wanna go into real estate, you're gonna have to um, go to some kind of real estate school and you get a license. Now, to be a producer, you only need $14.75, and get a card.
0: <laughs> this, what's the card? Is that SAG card? Is it? And,
1: and you raise the money. Oh, and that's it. okay. So being a producer is the easiest thing in the world. The hard part is getting the money.
0: Yeah. So the executive producers, they're the ones that have got a hobnob at the parties and God knows what, or go to the
1: uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. usually uh, after like a half a bottle of champagne, oh, right. you know, you, you got a deal.
0: So is but it you a... You s- call them the next
1: morning, call them the next morning before they recover from the hangover, and you rush over with the contract.
0: Now, this part interests me, because I know at the very other end of the scale, we've got the world premieres at Cannes or Cannes, however you want to pronounce it, and we've got different film festivals. And that's the end product where people go, and if they love what they see, blah, blah, they might go and distribute it and, and pay for it and all the rest of it. But that's at the end of the scale. We're at the very beginning. We're trying right. to get money to make a movie from either a book that we love or has got enormous potential or a great idea or right. something right, and we've got to get this. That tells me that if you're trying to get this dough from, you know, investors or studios, it's all about the verbal pitch of of how excited you are of why this would be a successful movie and why it would sell.
1: Exactly, exactly. Is that really sort of it? There's there's a a hundred ways to sell a movie. You don't need to go to Cannes, although I went to Cannes uh, for the last year 15, 20 oh, years. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun,
0: and, I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, so it, Canada's a lot of fun. You know, it's the biggest film party in the world, okay? Mm-hmm. They also have the American film market, um, which is in Los uh, Santa Monica uh, every November. But um, you, you make your movie, and then you approach everybody about it. You send out your screeners, and um, you get offers.
0: We're talking about... Um Uh, approaching, you know, like, for instance, there's Cannes, or Cannes is one thing overseas, and then here we are, though, in America in November, right? right? And that's, uh, where was that again?
1: Uh, Santa Monica, it's called the American Film Market, and this is where people from all over the world uh, congregate with all their movies, and we have uh, buyers come from all over the world, from the different countries, to buy um, American products.
0: So when they come from all over the world and the Americans as well, what do they have that movie on? What sample is it? Is it a full length feature or is it just the best bits of it, like a promo?
1: Well, you know, uh, at the American film market, it can be anywhere from people pitching an idea, looking for executive producers.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, They could have a one page synopsis. They could have a full screenplay. They could have a trailer to something that they started shooting and, uh, or they could have a completed Feature film, or they could have a completed feature film that's already sold in different uh, foreign territories, mm-hmm. and they want to sell to other territories.
0: Ah, uh, well, or break it into the states, maybe. You know, it might be an English film or an Aussie film or something like that that yeah. has potential merit of really making it in America, where exactly. the big where the big numbers are, right?
1: Yeah, and if you have a foreign film like a you know a, a film done in Spain, mm-hmm. uh, an American producer might want to purchase it and dub it into English. Okay. And uh, you you watch Netflix, and uh, Netflix is buying a lot of foreign films. Yeah, I'm not about happy
0: about English. that. i got to tell you, and sometimes, mate, uh, it's out of sequence. It's out of sync, you exactly. know? The mouths are yeah. closed while the while the, uh, the verbal is happening, but then the lyrics are off. Well, it's all over the what? place.
1: They, they should have shot it in English.
0: What can I say? <laughs> Fascinating. You know, people want to know about the game. Okay, so... You'd be pretty excited then if you got at one of these uh, distributor do's, you know, uh, the nod and, and, and a check, uh, you know, with the promise of maybe the thing. Well, really, it finishes for what? For you when they buy it off you because they now become the distributor who, who have to distribute it through theatres and what have you around the world and that's where they make right. their money, Right.
1: Yeah, uh, selling DVDs, selling rights to TV, selling rights to maybe Netflix, you know. Okay. They go out and sell sell sell. Um now the problem with distributors, unfortunately, 85% of them are thieves. <laughs> They'll want to take your film and sell it and uh they they want to keep the money. Okay? Um a lot of distributors, unfortunately, once a check goes from a territory into their account, it usually stays there. Really? So, um, you know, as I said, it's... Uh, so even in that game, movie, huh? It's tougher, is tougher than actually making a movie.
0: Even, I tell you what, it, it's in everything, isn't it? Welcome to America. Well, it's yep. everywhere, I guess. Welcome
1: to the world. Welcome <laughs> to
0: the world with that industry. And yet yep. there is a content shortage, isn't there? out there for, uh, also, but they're screaming for, for different content.
1: Well, everybody's frozen right now. Even Netflix, um, um, everybody's not producing. So, um, right now there's going to be, uh, right now there there's, there's enough content, but soon there's not going to be enough content, which is good for the independent that can get out there and knock off something, you know, fairly quickly.
0: Right. Uh, It's Tucson Means Business with Mark Bishop here on Tucson Business Radio X which uh, of course this will be a podcast and it'll stay on the channel so you can listen another time if you're busy or you want to tell somebody about it. And it goes on all the uh, various uh, podcast platforms around the globe as well. Now we're talking with Mark Headley, who's a producer and really a lot more than that. He's done all sorts of things and an ex actor. He's working on a movie that's going to come out soon. Well, been put back a little bit now to shoot, but it's going to be done here in Tucson. Now, I want to ask you this. You're with Southern Arizona Video Productions uh, that does feature films and live streaming. Do they help get films into production with casting and shooting as well?
1: Uh, well, actually, um, uh, I pretty much head up the features division, but I also work with them on live streaming, uh, commercials, uh, documentaries, corporate videos, uh, everything and anything that you want to do in video or film, hmm. you know, uh through southern arizona video they've been in existence for about 10 years here
0: yes indeed and, um, and uh yeah. sadly the, uh, you lost your uh, yeah harry harry a yeah. uh, part owner and uh ceo and so on harry Finder's a lovely gentleman absolute yeah. wonderful soul and yeah. uh, he left so uh nick is now what
1: um, uh, yeah nick murray is uh, the current owner mm-hmm. uh, they were partners mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately when harry harry uh I had the pleasure of working with Harry for about a year and a half before he passed. Um, but, uh, a very generous individual, very knowledgeable. Um, but pretty much Nick has uh, picked up the gauntlet and he and I are moving ahead.
0: That's great. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. How, uh, how did you get into the industry in the first place?
1: Well, um, originally as, uh, I was about 14, 15 years old and, um, I had, um, a friend of mine that was um, uh, an extra in a, in a movie. And uh, he asked if I wanted to visit the set one day and uh, a film being shot here in Tucson. I said, sure. So I went down and um, I um, was introduced to the lead actor, this uh, uh, black gentleman um, and kind of hung out with him. And he was explaining, you know, the process of movie making and this and that.
0: Um, now that wasn't Sidney so, Poitier, was it by any chance?
1: Well, uh, it was called lilies of the field.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Sidney Poitier is a very young man. Um, he actually got the Academy award for that movie.
0: For that one, yeah. okay.
1: So I, I, I became friends with Sydney. Uh, we kept in touch later. I, um, I was, uh, uh, uh mayor Lou Murphy, one of the mayors of Tucson, great mayor, very supportive of film. Um, uh, selected Bob Shelton and myself as co-founders of the Tucson Film Commission. Now, this was back in the 70s. Films were already coming in, mm-hmm. but uh, Mary Lou Murphy said, hey, well, let's promote it through Tucson and get more films.
0: What was the difference was, then? Hey, why was Tucson such a wonderful hub in those days so for close making movies?
1: So close to Los Angeles. Um, and uh, basically – Back in the uh, '50s, '60s, and '70s, and into the '80s, westerns were real big. Yeah. Okay. So
0: I grew up on watching when, American when you westerns. you kind of saturate
1: <laughs> all the westerns done in Southern California, right? You want to come to Old Tucson, okay, with the beautiful mountains, the saguaros, just you know the desert country. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody came here making westerns. Um, so as a kid, I, I you know I played a lot of uh, westerns. I Rode horseback, got to shoot bows and arrows. I played uh, an Apache Indian too. I'm part Apache, so I b- would play an Indian or, you know, put my hair in a cowboy hat and I was a cowboy. <laughs> and it was so much fun as as a kid. I got to play cowboys and Indians on a real horse with real guns. Yeah, with bows and arrows. Wow. Working with John Wayne. Lee Marvin, all the greats. Oh, you so, make me envious, um, my friend. It was I fun. mean,
0: we played yeah. in backyards with bows and arrows, and oh, I was once even um, Fez Parker, Daniel Boone. Oh uh, right. or, No, Davy Crockett, because I had a Davy Crockett, beautiful hat with a ponytail. So you did know, I. That, so did I.
1: With the whole, <laughs> you know, the rocking, Oh,
0: you know, they like, were marvelous. They were absolutely marvelous. Because Australia, we had a very limited, You know, only a small country, 25 million population, nearly 30 now, but. Yeah. Um, you know, we grew up on American and British television. We really didn't have an industry ourselves in film and oh. so on. Uh, early stuff like they're a weird mob and what have you. Okay, some TV stuff started going, but it wasn't until Mad Max that we really started getting some, you know, international claim. And right. um, and then it went on from there, of course. And look look at the stars that have come out of Australia. I mean, oh, yeah. not just yeah. actors and actresses. Well, today it's all actors, isn't it? Uh, yeah. i got to get that right. But I'm talking about, uh, what's his name? Directors, too. And camera guys. He won a, he won an, um, yeah, he won a, a Logie, I think, um, Our camera guy. I just can't remember his name. But a lot of talent. And, of course, New Zealand has, a you know, to offer as well. Yeah. Working with... Um,
1: oh, i got to mention something. Sure. I saw an Australian film years ago about... Uh, the West in Australia. It was Net, Ned
0: Ned. Ned uh, Kelly. Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly. Right. That's great, right. Played by right Michael movie. Jagger. Exactly. Yep. And I know that it, one.
1: Good film, you know, and right. uh, but you, you had your wild, wild West
0: yourself. We did very different, very different, but but similar in other ways. And when you think about it all, but, uh, the closest I ever got, I did a bit of acting when I was young, you know, stage and so on, but I was in television up on, uh, up on the east coast of Australia, up near, um, in fact, in Townsville at the time. And they were making a movie uh, out west a little bit from Townsville. I went out to cover it for a documentary and make a doco out of it. And um, it was surreal being on the set. And it made me realise just how how hard the work was. Sometimes 20, 30, 40 takes. The same thing over and over. And I got bored, (laughs) to be honest with you. You know, I'll go in to do a voiceover or a production or something like that. You know, they used to call me one time, Mark, get in there, do it, you're done. (laughs) These guys. That's
1: the way way I work.
0: Well, you know, (laughs) you got to watch the budget though, right? What should be done in maybe three takes uh, doesn't need 15 or 20.
1: Well, you know, let me tell you something. Uh, one of my heroes who I worked with back in the day was Clint Eastwood.
0: Oh, yeah, I've always loved his work. Yeah. Now,
1: um, Clint Eastwood, um, one take, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, and, and basically, the reason he said he would take one or two takes and move on because he grew up doing Westerns, and, you know, horses get would get impatient. Get the shot. You know, before the horse starts moving around too much. Right, okay? right, okay. And that's what he does to this day. He does one or two takes. And what I've learned over the years is, yeah, you can do 30 takes, but that actor is going to save the best take for last because he realizes you're going to work it, work it, work it. He's going to take his time, and he's going to save his energy mm-hmm. for that last 30 take, okay? Okay. So, um, so he's if working you have up to a it. history of doing one, two, three, He's going to punch it each time and give you the best he can. Well,
0: there you he's go. Simple. And it takes a good director, too, to, uh, you know, to bring that out of people. But, yeah, I loved uh, – yeah. I loved – and, you know, people know him as Dirty Harry and all of that, but play Misty for me was one of my favorites with him. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, he's made a lot of good – and now he's a great director as well. You know, I mean, the guy's done it all, has he? He, he? he
1: cranks out a film a year, you know?
0: Unbelievable. You're listening to Tucson Means Business uh, with your host, Mark Bishop, and my special guest is Mark Headley, who's the producer and works for um, Southern Arizona Video Productions. He heads up the film and television division there in reference to uh, producing and, and you know, a lot of work for Tucson, bringing money to Tucson, and that's a wonderful thing. And we're it's proudly brought to us, this show, by the 49ers Golf and Country Club, and they got a word. They'll be right back, or we'll be right back. So don't go away. Lisa DeFalco is the director of fitness and events at the beautiful 49ers Golf and Country Club. And don't forget, it's open to the public. And you may not want to play golf. You may not even want to go to the restaurant for a bite to eat, whether it be breakfast, lunch or dinner. Maybe you're a fitness person. Boy, is there a lot at the club. Lisa, you, you have so much that the club can offer somebody.
2: Well, yes we do, and we have a lot of things going on in the fitness center for all ages. We offer different kinds of classes from Les Mills Body Pump to yoga. We even have boxing now. We wow. have, I know. We've got some boxing. <laughs> we also have ballroom dancing for adults. We have lots of different kinds really? of Really? Ballroom
0: dancing for for too. This goes oh. on during the day, right? Yes, In during the beautiful the day. big new fitness center there at the yes, club. Yes,
2: it is a beautiful fitness center. Wow. And we have lots of other um, activities for for families who aren't really a member, you don't have to be a member to be a part of some of these programs. We work a lot with the school district, Tinker Verde Youth Programs, buses the kids from school to the club to do golf lessons, fitness classes, swimming. The junior high kids get to come on over and do some body pump. It's really amazing.
0: isn't that a great thing? So they bust the kids there, and they must have a ball. (laughs) I can imagine the smiles on their faces. They're
2: so adorable. We just love the kids. They have so much fun. It's a blast.
0: So there's plenty to do, and with summer coming up, of course, there's aerobics, isn't there, in the pool?
2: Yes, we have water aerobics in the pool, and uh, we get a lot of people in for that. That's a really popular class. It'll change a little bit over the summer because we have a huge swim team a lot of fun stuff with the swim team going on and we also have junior recreation camps over the summer a lot of things to do for the kids and it's mostly all day we work with tucson twist they come out and do some clinics uh 72 aquatics comes out brings out their scuba equipment and the well, kids get to go scuba diving in the pool which that's is that's
0: cool pretty cool anybody listening can phone you on what or contact you directly how do they do
2: that they go ahead and call they can call the club at 749 4925 extension 211, or you can send us an email. Check it out on the website at 49erscc.com.
0: Lisa DeFalco, she is the director of fitness and events at the famous 49ers Golf and Country Club. You're listening to Tucson Means Business. Now, Mark Headley is my guest. What challenges has the company faced? particularly with COVID-19, what happens to a production company when all this goes on?
1: Well, um, we actually haven't missed a beat. Um, it's the clients. The governor basically considered uh, media companies uh, essential businesses. So we've been open since day one, okay? Uh, it's the clients like, uh, you know, uh, uh, live streaming. Uh, that's, that's uh, you know, we've lost uh, concerts that we usually cover. We've mm-hmm. lost. hmm but um, we just recently, a couple of weeks ago, did a uh, live stream uh, graduation, uh, high school graduation, okay. Okay. which is interesting because yes. we did it for Gregory School and uh, you can go online and, and, and get uh, the live streaming, but um, it was almost set up like a, a, dry, a drive-in movie. Um, sure. You had um, all the kids show up with their parents in a car and they had the podium in the center And we had with the Pro Sound, a a company we worked with down the block, Mm -hmm. set up an FM, which they hadn't done in years, um, to pipe in everything into the car radios. So everybody was able to listen, stay in their cars safely. Mm -hmm. And then when the diploma was to be given, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the kid would get out of the car and get the diploma and get back in the car. Very, you know, very safe you know um yeah
2: but
0: i mean hats off cool. to you they i mean I was, graduation i think it's down yeah. good because a lot of kids had to miss out i mean i was going to my, my next question was going to be mark how, how do you overcome you know these challenges of people not being able to you, do, you, do have, things? you have
1: to reinvent yourself you have to adjust to the t- just like in making a film when something happens you simply have to adjust to it keep shooting
0: that's it you know, maybe there's a movie there, short movie. <laughs> Gradua- well, actually, graduation. Graduation. You
1: know, uh, we're doing we're doing a movie. We're doing a movie um, uh, with interns. We have uh, uh, several interns that work with us, right? And and help out, and uh, and they want to learn the film business. And I had them write a script, and um, it's called "Bring Out Your Dead," and it has news clips from all this craziness. You know, the protests, the riots. Ah, okay. Um, and it's all about what's going on right now. We're going to start shooting um, with these interns next week because we have all this equipment here. Just gratis, we're going to give them the equipment and they're going, going to go out and make a feature film. Um, why not? Why not? You know, Good so on them. Move forward.
0: Let me, let me ask you, Mark Hidley, what, what project uh, w- would you say that over the years and everything you've done, what, what are you most proud of?
1: Um, well, actually the film, uh, stand-ins, which, uh, you know, uh, I remember
0: the name who was in it.
1: Um, uh, well people, uh, Daphne Zuniga who, um,
0: Oh, was, she was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Daphne Zuniga, uh, um,
0: started and, off and, and in, uh, 90210, I think.
1: Exactly. Daphne exactly. Zugina. yeah, I lovely remember to it. work with. Yeah. And, um, then, um, uh, Missy Kreider, you know, I don't know if you've heard of her. I've but,
0: heard of that um, name too. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and um, um, yeah. Well, actually, uh, one of the highlights was working with uh, the cinematographer Andre Sakula, who shot the picture.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And um, he was a cinematographer, a friend of mine, and he agreed to do this this picture. It was a low budget, you know, but he agreed to do the picture uh, as a cinematographer. And his credentials before that was. He was a cinematographer on um, Reservoir Dogs.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that Quentin one. Tarantino. And the another one that brings him up for me was Straw Dogs. The original with, um, oh, um, the very sexy Justin blonde, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, and the yeah. Suzanne, uh, what's her name? I think right. she was British.
1: Reserv- Reservoir Dogs was uh, Quentin Tarantino and Michael Manson. Right. And um, then Andre Sekula was the cinematographer on Pulp Fiction.
0: Yeah, classic, isn't it, huh? Yeah. It's like Kill Bill. uh, Some of these um, never die, these things.
1: Yeah, and and the uh, cinematographer, of course, was impeccable. It was, you know, very well done, you know, film. Very challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, it it was, and it was about, it was a 1932 period piece where um, it was about, uh, the stand-ins to the major stars, like the stand-in to Katherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. uh, the, st- the stand-in to Melina Dietrich, stand-in. And so these six women got together in this bar and uh, they go through the uh, agony and ecstasy of being in the film business but not being stars.
0: Right. They're just right.
1: stand-ins to the stars. And um, it has an interesting um, uh, resolution at the end of the movie. I'm not going to tell you
0: about no, it. All right, no, don't do that. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> You're bringing up a lot of uh, a lot of memories for people here. Um, what about uh, your response? I mean, how hard has it been finding an adequate cast and crew here for this new movie, which we're going to go into in a well, second? Uh,
1: the problem is there hasn't really been much film through here at all. I mean, in the last 20 years. Uh, And a lot of people to survive the professionals here have either had to go to Los Angeles or New Mexico or Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Now, when we're talking about professionals now, this is the whole gamut of the industry from, you know, um, uh, cameramen to directors, to actors, to writers, you know, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Okay. Because there's just no work, right? You're going to stop. There's
1: no work. So why, why, you know, stick around now? Um, I left in, in 1983, um, for Hollywood and did a lot of movies there, but also I was, I did a couple of films in Romania. Um, I mean, uh, Hollywood is the Mecca. It's, it's where all the decision makers are. Okay. Um, now, and I've come back and forth between Tucson and Hollywood, um, you know, constantly because I grew up here. I love it. And, uh, um, it's a great place to make movies. Um, but, um, fortunately you have to bring a lot of people in from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I, I don't know if there's any, going to be any, there, there's going to be no quick solution to bring in the film industry back here on occasion. We'll have films, you know, come here mm-hmm. because of the, the, the look, the terrain, the proximity—it's only an eight-hour drive from Hollywood to Tucson
0: mm-hmm. for the um, big trucks and all our, the gear. Or do they hire here? Is there enough talent here and equipment, you know, for for Hollywood uh, producers and so on to say, know, look, in
1: a, a small picture like myself, yes, I can pick up, um, you know, eighty percent of the cast and eighty percent of the crew here.
0: Yes, okay, okay,
1: for me. But if a bigger film came in, they'd have to bring in, you know, quite a few people.
0: Well, it's a beautiful area. There's no doubt about it and weather. When I look at, you know, the weather all across America, I mean, why would you live anywhere else, honestly? Um, And people say, God, how do you live in that 110 degree heat? Well, it's not very long and it's dry. You stay inside.
1: (laughs) You have a car that has air conditioning,
0: you know? There you go. Um, What about this wonderful new movie called Majestic? Now, uh, this was written by whom?
1: Uh, this was written by um, uh, Rachel Gordon and uh, my son, Sean Marcus Headley.
0: Really? Yeah. Is it his first attempt?
1: It's his, well, no, actually he's he's written other screenplays, but this is the first one that he's, that's actually in production. He's, he's 18 years old. Wow. And, uh, Good on he's, him. He's been working with me. He's visited uh, me on a number of movies. Um, and then just uh, about three years ago, I started hiring him on films when he was uh, 15 years old and he worked as a second assistant director on a film that I did up in Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I hired him two years ago as a first assistant director on a feature that we shot north of Las Vegas.
0: Where did he do his training? So young, how did he how did he do that?
1: Uh, uh, School of Hard Knocks. I mean, he just... You know, uh, he's uh-huh. been visiting uh, my movies since he was born. Right. Okay. So he's picked it. As a matter of fact, I did a film. One, yeah. one film I am, you know, quite proud of, is uh, Visionaires with Zach Galifianakis, the actor. Are you familiar with?
0: Him? No. No. Tell Never me.
1: seen Hangover.
0: Yeah. Hangover. Yeah.
1: Uh, he's the guy. Oh, did.
0: hang on a minute. Right. 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 I got you. And I
1: hired him on a film up in Seattle. And, um, Sean Marcus came up and visited me, you know, with his mom and, uh, we got to hang out and, and Zach, if you, if, if you see any of his, um, the guy is, I mean, even on and off set, he is funnier than, than anything. <laughs> it's incredible. So, yeah. So my son uh, kind of, uh, osmosis wise is kind of picked up his visiting sets, you know, wherever I'm, I'm shooting.
0: Mm-hmm. So he can do screenplays. So if I exactly. went if I went to him with an idea, you know, for for a movie, right, he'd right. be able to screenplay it and set it up so that it could be shot.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? Anybody can really write a screenplay. Um, it uh, it takes a program final draft, which is a great program. It's like one hundred and fifty bucks.
0: Oh, online. And, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, and 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 you can write a screenplay. Um, and uh, what what I got involved in uh, writing. Was a film that I did years ago in the '80s called Vampire Bikini Beach. Okay, (laughs) and um, I'll tell you a quick story how that. All right,
0: we got time, and I'll tell you a funny one about when I first came to the states, what job I did, and and what movie I worked on for what it's worth, but not on the set or as an actor or anything else. It, well, I'll tell you now. I was on the bloody phones trying to raise money to make it. (laughs) I was given a stack of uh, penny leads, as they're called. Right. And we were trying to raise money for this second movie of the guy that was the uh, uh, producer of, uh, God, I forget the first one, but it was a massive hit. Um, Oh, it was to do with uh, uh, werewolves. Can you remember a movie with... Oh, uh,
1: American... American uh,
0: no, it wasn't that. I'll think I'll ask the subconscious. It'll pop back in. So you could, you go okay. ahead. You tell me that funny story.
1: Okay. Um, well, anyway, um, I read a book, and this is for some of your readers that are interested in, in writing screenplays. Okay. Um, Linda Sager, and Sager is S-E-G-E-R. Mm-hmm. She wrote a book called Making a Good Script Great. I read the book, you know, um, in the mid 80s and uh, i followed her formula okay and within uh, 30 days i had written a screenplay and i thought you know before i wrote the screenplay i said, what would be an interesting subject that i would be interested in doing and uh, back then i thought okay well vampires are always popular <laughs> and women in bikinis
0: <laughs> why are vampires always popular tell me
1: no, well, actually, it, it is, uh, you know, it's a myth that is uh, one of the most exploited right. uh, since Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula.
0: There, there have uh, been some very good produced you know, Francis movies. Coppola,
1: Francis Ford Coppola, you know, you know did uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so it, you know, I thought, why not make a, a vampire beach, uh, a vampire, you know, in Malibu, right? So I said, okay, fine. <laughs> so um, I wrote the screenplay. <laughs> And then I started pitching it around and, um, there were two people that said, and I only needed, uh, 35,000
0: to shoot it. Wow. Low, a low budget thing, huh? Right. Low budget. <laughs> uh,
1: everybody, you know, all the girls, the crew, you know, worked for very little money. I put it together, but I needed 35,000 to do it because mm. it was going to be shot in 35 millimeter, which is expensive. Yes. You know? In
0: those days. Yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, there were two people, one uh, that said, um, Well, let me think about it. And um, another guy said, uh, well, actually, I gave this one guy like a week to come up with the 35,000. And he always said, "Call me tomorrow. Call me tomorrow." So, I, yeah. well, what so was then, the promise?
0: What was his? What was his ROI? What did you offer him? How? How did he get a guarantee of anything back? Well,
1: uh, you know, like uh, it, it depends. But you know, he'd get his money back, and then he'd get ten percent of whatever we made of the world sales. So anyway, right. This guy oh. kind of, you know, and, and this is the, the hard part: raising money.
0: Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I gather it is. We'll yeah. Gave the guy a week,
1: <laughs> and then I started talking to another guy that. Um, was interested. He got the screenplay, he read it, and he calls me up and he says, okay, uh, yeah, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to do this. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'd like to put in 35000 I said, well, how soon? He said, come to my office this afternoon. Um, so I go down to the office, pick up the check, take it to the bank. You always cash the check. Mm-hmm. Okay? Get the money. So I had the money in hand, the 35000 and I call the other guy. And I says, uh, what about your $35,000? He says, Mark, I'm, I'm so close. Call me tomorrow. I said, you know what? You're too late. <laughs> but,
0: well, I don't know. That's burning a bridge. Film, I mean, the you the might want made, him again someday. Film, you
1: know, We sold the film for $250,000. The investor got all his money back. I made about you
0: know, 25,000 myself. Okay. And he got 10%. So he would have made a nice uh, little 25,000 on 35. That's, that's like, wow, that's about 80 cent, 80% on his money. It's a risky thing, but it's darn good returns. The howling. That's the one, The Howling. Oh,
1: no, I love that
0: movie. You remember? Now it just popped in. See, that works, ladies and gentlemen. Always ask the subconscious, what the hell am I trying to remember? <laughs> right. Yeah, so he was doing a second one, and here I am sitting in a booth. Uh, well, I was living in Phoenix, and, uh, and I had to get something at the time. And, and um, yeah, I was experienced getting on the phones, ringing these penny leads, uh, trying to get people to put money into the next movie. So, you were
1: doing uh, uh, what we call back in the day telemarketing.
0: That's it. That's what it was. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. do it now if you paid me fifty bucks an hour. I tell you, I'm too old for that. Uh-huh. So machines do it, don't they? How yeah. has uh, the response been as far as finding um, uh, money for this uh, majestic? Do you want to tell us a bit about majestic?
1: Uh, the script uh, I've had for a couple of years. Okay, pitched around, you know, and um, at the uh, at the American Film Market last November. You know, uh, I started my own distribution company, you know, Headley international pictures. Hmm, okay. Cool. And, um, so, um, this uh, Chinese woman was kind of floating through, you know, the market and, um, a friend of mine spoke to her, said, Oh, you've got to see Mark Headley. He's got, you know, some films that, you know, that are for sale. So she came in, saw some of my previous films and she says, uh, yeah, this is, this looks really great. Um, but what, uh, do you have any films that you're working on now? And I said, well, several. What, what kind of you know, genre are you interested
0: yeah, in? Yeah, what talks you cook? Tell me. <laughs>
1: exactly. And she says, well, I'd like something that would be good for the Chinese market. And I said, okay. So I came up with The Majestic, which is about a young girl, a young teenager that saves the life of a horse. Everybody loves horses. Yeah, okay? but
0: what's the girl, Chinese?
1: Uh, no, uh, American girl. It's an American movie, mm-hmm. um, and we're currently casting for the lead role, Scarlet. Which, uh, come to think of it, I don't think you're going to make a good Scarlet. Okay, so <laughs>
0: we'll have to figure. I'm trying else. to understand why you're Chinese, though Chinese. You mean what to be shown in China?
1: Uh, no, A very uh, she's a very wealthy. Um, uh, she's into you know pharmaceuticals and uh, businesses in China. And in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Okay. So she's got a big, so anyway, um, the conversation went very well and she said, well, listen, um, let let me have you come to Seattle and let's sit down and talk about the majestic. So I got her the script. She loved the script and, uh, she flew myself and, uh, the director up to Seattle and spent a week. And, uh, she said, you know what? I want to do this movie. I'm putting the money down. And so we're off and running.
0: Very yeah. nice. Dare I ask you how much you got for the budget on this? Can't tell you. Okay, I didn't no, actually. That. <laughs> uh,
1: we've got to keep budgets, you know, confidential right. because okay. if a distributor or a buyer knows how low a budget is, uh, they're going to lowball me. Okay,
0: so you do a deal with her. She puts the money in. She is the sole contributor, right? right. The yep. investor, and yep. you do a deal on how much percentage wise. On all yeah, of well, the sales.
1: Uh, you know, she gets the bulk. She gets 80%. I get 20. Okay. You know, so all right. She gets her money back first.
0: And you get a movie made at least, right? It's another exactly. credit. Yeah, another I you get, your get bow. a
1: producer fee going in. Okay. You know, so I don't have to wait, you know, for a year.
0: How like, many movies and great scripts sit on, on benches and cupboards well, with uh, dust?
1: The Writers Guild of America reports that there's 50,000 scripts registered not just written there's a you know a few more that are written but registered with the writers guild of america 50,000 each year you know so when a script those,
0: is written by somebody right yeah, it's like uh, a, a, a it's like a patent play. is it it's like a patent it's their uh, script, well, and the, it's it, done.
1: It, it's registered with the Writers Guild, meaning nobody else can go in. Okay, that's what I mean. Script.
0: So that's the Writers yeah, if, Guild if there's is... there's
1: a lawsuit, if somebody takes right. your script and tries to do it without your permission, mm-hmm. then you can you have rights to sue them through the Writers Guild of America.
0: And what happens if they pinch the concept, though, and then sort of re, revamp uh, it, it a little
1: A lot bit. of gray areas. A lot, I mean, a lot of gray um, areas. There, there's l- lawsuits with Steven Spielberg yeah on Schindler's list i mean right. you know people come out of the woodwork on the bigger budget but on the smaller budget you know uh, it's heck? not worth you know the hassle okay so
0: so, so um, majestic rest, is a horse thing with
1: the writers guild and also the library of congress double whammy mm. and uh, that protects that uh, intellectual property okay completely okay
0: so, so you got to be a bit careful then when there's these online marketers i i actually gave my idea away of a movie to an online thingo that, that said, you know, give us an idea and we'll get the thing made for you. And I thought, well, this is a few years ago now, but I thought, well, gee, what have I got to lose? You know, but I never heard anything back. But if right. I see that well, movie you know, bob I, up uh, somewhere so one day, I will take love to what. steal
1: ideas, right. you know, and you can't copyright an idea.
0: No, you can't. Um, That's even the problem. A
1: treatment, you know, um, but with the Writers Guild, you have to have at least 30 pages, you know, to, to register with the Writers Guild but you do that and then you're you're protected.
0: Okay. So 30 pages. What about the old the old thing we used to do for you know writing other stuff we could put it into a brown envelope and post the thing to us so you've got a post date on it.
1: Um well you can do that too but a writers guild and library of congress That's two, enough. two professional ways to do it, you know.
0: Let me ask you about uh, the fun of the game. You know, there must be big celebrations after a wrap before it gets to the cutting room oh, yeah, floor? yeah, the wrap party. The rap yep. party. And then how long before a thing is ready to sit down and watch it in a theater?
1: Um, well, I like uh, – I have a saying that two hours and a bag of popcorn <laughs> to everybody else is a year out of my life. <laughs> so –
0: <laughs> and it's all gone like that, yeah. Yep. But what's it like getting the reaction when you've produced a show or directed it? Uh, what's it like sitting there waiting for the crowd to either storm well, out or clap your or boo? screening
1: is with cast and crew, which are prejudiced to the movie, right? and we'll laugh at all the right places and do they
0: go on with oh my god i said that or do i look like that or oh
1: (laughs) oh yeah it's a celebration it is a celebration off after all this hard work the one celebration is the wrap party usually a week after you wrap but uh since we're bringing so many people in from los angeles we'll probably have the wrap party the last day of shooting right
0: right Uh,
1: so we all party there you know we've been together for how you know God knows how, how long. All right. And, um, no, that's a nice thing. It's usually like... about three months, uh, to the premiere. Okay.
0: okay. Yeah. That would be fun. Going to the premiere would be real. Oh yeah. Real good fun. That
1: everybody one. decks out, you know, yeah. and, and they come and watch their work.
0: Yep. That's is. And it's work. I mean, when you're getting up at three and four in the morning, uh long day shooting, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, what's the earliest you would start unless you, you're wanting that, you uh, know, you know
1: what, uh, I did one film, which I don't like. You know, uh, these hours. Um, I I had to be on set for forty straight hours. Oh. Forty eight straight hours. Were
0: okay? you physically we, working? We were,
1: uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Uh, but it also, it's it's an adrenaline rush too. You know, mm. you got things happening. It's sure. not just sitting there. You know. So, um, and then I had one film shoot where uh, usually it's a twelve from a a twelve to fourteen hour day. OK, mm-hmm. um, I did one film years ago in Los Angeles where it was all night shoots for 24 days. And that was brutal.
2: You know, you have to get
1: on set at six, six at night, mm-hmm. leave at six in the morning. And this was up in Topanga Canyon in the wintertime. Cold.
0: OK, all right. Now I can relate to that. Well, years I had years in radio, you know, before television and uh yeah when you do all shifts across the board, I mean, I started with mid-dawn and then you work your way and breakfast. I mean, Oh boy, you know, you're up early three thirty four, and you're on here at five. So and I understand around the clock and it, it knocks your body around. It really oh, does. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's so hard one thing, work.
1: One thing I like about, about, um, getting up at four or five in the morning, no traffic in Hollywood. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. At seven o'clock in the morning, forget it.
0: <laughs> That's a good you know? point.
1: But, well, you know, Mark, at five it's, o'clock, it's, you go right to set, you know, and then at eight o'clock, come home.
0: Just like a day's work, you know, and you make it movies. Listen, Majestic is the name of the movie. We're going to look forward to this. Is there going to be a big thing in Tucson about it when it's ready to be released?
1: Oh, yes, very much so. Okay. A lot of people in Tucson are, are totally behind it. And um, we're actually doing another open casting call a week from uh, this Saturday mm-hmm. at Southern Arizona Video. And it's open call from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. Anybody can come by. You know, we're looking for,
0: you know, all types. Also, it's. I might just rock yeah. down there myself on that. Yeah. Where yeah. can people find you, mate, if they want to contact you, talk to you, or anything else? Uh, I know um, the website let, is com. Okay. Yeah, let me give you the office number. Okay, okay. sure. The, and um, uh, Well, it'll be up on the site anyway permanently, along with your okay. uh, photo and so on. Okay. You look a little bit like, I'm trying to remember, uh, who's the kid, what's his name, blonde hair. He started young. Uh, God, I some, Brad Pitt. No, not Brad, Pitt. Brad Pitt. There's another one. There's another little fella. The Home Alone guy. Who was that?
1: Oh. Uh, I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, we know. You know I don't, The subconscious is done. I don't want to give it another one for now.
1: Oh, let me give you the phone number real quick. You yeah. ready? Shoot. Oh, 520. 520. 349.
0: 349.
1: 5717. 5717. Fantastic. But it's best uh, uh, a week from Saturday. Go, uh, you know, from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Come out, come down.
0: All right, you know. and that's at Southern Arizona Video Productions. Easy to find. Yeah,
1: nine. Yeah, nine eleven nine one one South Tyndall
0: mm-hmm. Avenue. Nine one one South Tyndall Avenue. Just look yeah, it up. Yeah, which,
1: which is uh, north of Twenty Second and west of Park Avenue.
0: Right, that's all right. Yeah, do they want to come in on the interview? <laughs> you know,
1: I, uh, wait. <laughs> uh,
0: is Nick, here? Yeah. Nick? <laughs> Say hi to Nick for me, will you? <laughs> Mark, it's been very, very interesting speaking with you. It's, it's a world that people don't know a lot about really, unless they're in the game, and uh, what goes on behind the scenes. I would love to do a permanent podcast about movies and films and, and TV.: oh,
1: actually, uh, this is one uh, this is Scott. He's one of our interns. Uh, ah. Yeah, 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 uh, tell him about uh, Bring out the Dead. Oh, uh, bring out the dead. That's,
0: um, I tell you what, I haven't got you even though this is audio, but I do have got you on zoom video at the moment, but there's your head. Gotcha. Oh, All right. You <laughs> I got gotcha. you. And you've got a minute. <laughs> a minute.
1: Okay. Well bring out the dead. It's, uh, it's based on what's happening now and we kind of take it to the next level. It's kind of like sort of a, where the virus mutates
0: people into, uh, You don't think it's, uh, you don't think it's, uh, you know, what's the word? Um, Tasteful? I mean, uh, do you think it's smart right now with the virus? I mean, do you Um, see any issues with that at all?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, You You have to have a sense of humor.
0: Okay. All right. (laughs) It's kind of done with the sense of humor, I think. That's the way it's presented. Okay. Well, then that'll be cool. That's what people have got to see it as then. Yeah. You got to leave them laughing. You gotta leave them love, and yeah, and uh, okay. Well, good luck with oh, that.
1: Anyway, uh, Scott's been with us for about a year now, interning, and now he's going to be producing his first feature
0: film. Good luck with that, Scott. Thank you. Good luck with it, big time. And uh, I'm glad you found you found your niche in life. Yes, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Good on you. All right, Mark. Mark Headley, it's been an absolute pleasure. My special guest on Tucson Means Business, and good luck with Majestic. And we'll see you around the traps, mate.
1: Excellent. Hopefully see you a week from this Saturday.
0: All right. Bye, Mark. Bye-bye.